Hello and welcome to the Free America Podcast. I am your host, Nick Yaya, and this is Free America. Today's Sunday, June 12th, and we have another wonderful episode lined up for you today. Got a great guest today. I think you're really going to enjoy. His name is Patrick Moore, and he was one of the co-founders of Greenpeace, uh, but has since come around to realize that a lot of what um, he thought was a part of the climate change issue was actually it turned out not to be true. But uh, you know, Patrick is very scientific. He's gone over all of the data, and I just finished reading his book, which is called "Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom." And he lays it all out there very clearly and succinctly. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. We're going to talk about all kinds of cool stuff. We're talking about, um, you know, of course, global warming. We're talking about, you know, the polar bear extinction, uh, the use of uh, alternative energy, as well as things like the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which apparently doesn't exist. I wasn't aware of that. I'm glad to learn that it is a fallacy because it seemed pretty awful to understand that, uh, there's just a bunch of plastic floating in the middle of the ocean that's killing all of our sea life. So good news, folks. It's not there and it's not killing all of our sea life. So I think you're really going to enjoy this story with uh, with Patrick today. OK, so first up, I want to uh, encourage you to. Well, here's a, here's what the book looks like, I just, but I'm going to switch back to our uh, on our normally scheduled program. So that's the book right there. Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. By Patrick Moore. So we'll be hearing more about that uh, up here shortly. But first, if you like what we do here at Free America Podcast, share it with your friends and family. Go to freeamericapodcast.com where you'll find this episode as well as previous episodes and ways that you can share that. So you can listen to it on all your favorite audio podcast outlets like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and the like. Um, up here at the top, uh, there's videos where you click on videos. You can use one of the links here that'll take you to either Rumble or BitChute where you can watch the video version of this podcast. And I do recommend watching the video version because sometimes we'll share some cool stuff, visuals, things that you want to see to better illustrate our point. And so I recommend watching the video. But if you want to take us on the go, listen to us on the road like I know a lot of you do, certainly you can use the audio version or download that and take it with you. Okay, cool. Uh, also, if you like the Free America podcast, please consider picking up um, a deck of COVID's Most Wanted playing cards. These are a great gift. Uh, I recommend them for a Father's Day gift, which is coming up next weekend. And what these are is a deck of playing cards like your average um, poker cards. Okay, so here, let me show you an example of some of them here. You know, you got Fauci is the ace of diamonds, right? We've got uh, Klaus Schwab, Gigi Ping, Peter Daszak, Ralph Barrick. Everybody involved in, in this form or fashion, somehow, Albert Burla, CEO of Pfizer, everybody involved in the whole COVID pandemic scam, whether you're talking about people like Bill Gates, who have been really instrumental in, in pushing these vaccines, which are now killing and injuring millions of people around the world, uh, or people like Anthony Fauci, who was a key in developing the virus at the Wuhan lab in China with people such as uh, Xi you can never get her name right. Where is she? She Zingli. So she's known as the Batwoman, and she worked at the Wuhan lab with uh, the money that Fauci fed to Peter Daszak of EcoHealth Alliance. So anyway, this card, uh, these cards are an educational tool. Uh, along with it comes uh, the evidence 
to back up every little bit of what we're talking about here. So, for example, if you click on Bill Gates, it shows you some of the crimes that he's being charged with, homicide, fraud, racketeering, etc. And it tells the story about how he was involved in the development of the vaccine and mRNA technology and um, and other salient points. So anyway, it's a fun, fun way to educate yourself and inform yourself and as well to share this with others, because my concern is that they're going to try to scrub this information off the Internet at some point and or, uh, you know, just disappear into the chaos that they've created. But these cards uh, which I have a deck right here, are a permanent record of the crimes that these people committed. So pick up a deck today. Go to uh, covidsmostwanted.com. I will put the link to that in the show notes section. So pick up one. Oh, and if you'd like a discount, just use promo code podcast at checkout. That'll get you a 20% discount as well as free shipping, right? So good deal right there. Okay, moving on to our news. First news of the day. I always try to start off with some good news. Here out of the Gateway Pundit, we have New York City to finally end sick and abusive mask mandates for children two to four years old. So they had already lifted the mask mandate for adults, but they kept them on kids um, who are <laughs> highly unlikely to get sick or to spread the disease to other people, yet they still kept them masked up, which is um, uh, psychologically damaging to, to the kids. It, it developmentally retards them from uh, being able to learn and develop. This is a very important part of their life where their brain is forming and making connections and uh so very sad to see that they were abusing their children this way and but i'm finally glad to see that they lifted the mask mandate all right moving on and uh kind of in a related article here masks don't stop viruses it turns out they're actually harmful right so we knew this but again being repeated by dr simone gold from america's frontline doctors um, and it goes on here. Uh, I'm going to kind of jam through these articles real quick because I do want to get to our guest today. So I'm really not going to go into too much detail for each one, but I will leave these again here on the show notes section for you to review. And you can pick through these and find like the observational studies and other things that um, are related to these, these uh, stories. And all of these are, well, they're all interrelated somehow. Okay. So the CDC aims to have COVID controls institutionalized. They love the lockdowns and the mask mandates, and they want to make them permanent. Boy, even though um, even though they have no idea what they're talking about, apparently, because study after study has shown that masks didn't work. Um, there's a study out of Johns Hopkins that showed that the lockdowns didn't work. None of the measures worked, um, yet they want to still push forward this. In fact, here's another article. CDC decides to recommend masks for the non-airborne monkeypox virus. Okay, so here they are again, following the science. And I'm putting that in air quotes for our, our audio listeners um, because they are not following the science, um, which is just ridiculous. It's a ridiculous statement anyway. You don't follow science. Science is not a religion, folks. Um, it's, um, it's a process. Anyway, CDC shows... Data shows that COVID-19 infections are higher in boosted Americans compared to unboosted, right? So the more jabs you get, the more likely you are to get sick. It just goes without saying, simply because these jabs do decimate your immune system. And the more of them you have, the worse off you are. And we get into negative immunity at or negative efficacy, rather, at uh, some point with these jabs. So again, the more you have, the worse it gets. All right. Um, moving on out of Epoch Times, mass vaccination triggers spike in cases and deaths. Well, imagine that. So this is um, some data coming out of um, 
uh, uh, where, where, oh boy, Cambodia, sorry, I'm looking right at it. So it shows uh, here a flat line of cases and deaths in Cambodia. And then all of a sudden they, uh, the, the vaccination program starts and boom, it spikes up through, um, up through the roof essentially. So there is your evidence right there, folks, pretty much. I mean, I know it's, it's, Anyway, I'll let you view that for yourself. Okay, scientists knew in 2005 that spike protein-based coronavirus vaccines like Pfizer and Moderna were potentially dangerous. Yeah, and this is more evidence to show that these people knowingly committed these crimes. So they are not exempt from, they are not immune from prosecution. They're not exempt from liability as they like to claim that they are. So all of these vaccine manufacturers are liable for the damages that they are causing, which is why they're included in the COVID's most wanted cards, because I want you to be able to take this information and take this evidence and go after these people in civil court for the damages that they cause you and your family. You can sue them. You can sue them in civil court. And then hopefully we'll find some attorney general, attorneys general or some, you know, some district attorneys that have the courage to stand up and take these people uh, to court for criminal charges to so charge them criminally for their for their crimes okay uh boy here's a couple of articles that are just stunning healthy young people are dying suddenly and unexpectedly from mysterious syndrome in australia doctors are baffled wow i wonder what it is another article same sort of thing healthy young people dying from mysterious syndrome here it is again out of daily mail doctors um are are, are just baffled people under 40 are having heart attacks and they're calling it now sudden adult death syndrome. So this is the same sort of thing that was um, attributed uh, uh, in children, sudden infant death syndrome. And a lot of times, and people are, are correlating this together with the introduction of vaccines to these children. Now, is that uh, related here as well? Are they um, are these new vaccines um, related or uh, to causing this type of, of injury or death in people? I think so. Um, the data is showing that it is. Um, we don't have the hard evidence, but uh, the very strong correlation between that, I believe. All right. Pfizer quietly admits that they will never manufacture the vaccine that was FDA approved. So all of these governments and corporations and everybody mandating that you take this approved vaccine, you know, it's been approved the government has approved it. Therefore, you, you have to take it as a condition of working for us um, is a lie. All right. They, they lied to our military. They lied to you know, people in corporate America, um, you know, airline pilots, uh, people in my industry or the industry I used to work in, which is the entertainment industry. So, uh, yeah, it was all a lie. And they, they, they're, they're using a new formulation. They added uh, tromethamine to another formulation because people were having uh, heart attacks and, and myocarditis and pericarditis. And so the tromethamine is a drug that, that helps mitigate that. Um, so again, not approved. They're just adding stuff willy-nilly post-test post, uh, post, uh, or post um, the, when they did the, the trials. And, and now they're not even going to be producing this the the very drug that was approved by the FDA. So it's all a sham. And that is why they're in uh, such a rush to get this approved for children, um, you know, zero to six or zero to five years old, because once it becomes a part of the vaccine schedule, the approved vaccine schedule for children, then they're completely immune. Uh, so they think 
uh, they're completely, completely immune from a prosecution and from liability. So that's why they're pushing so, so hard to get this into the arms of children, uh, which will not only uh, injure them, but most definitely will kill them. So we need to stop these folks. Uh, we need these people are maniacs and they are um, they're murdering people. OK, uh, Steve Kirsch says that whistleblower says a whistleblower revealed never before seen all cause mortality Medicare data after COVID-19 jab rollout. So so here is the data that I was just talking about um, that that um, is correlated to the introduction of the vaccine, right? the, the jab. Um, and this is the government's own data and all cause mortality. What that is, 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 is just uh, all types of deaths, right? So, so it's cancer or it's a heart attack or you name it. Um, all of these categories are now up. They're all, they've all risen significantly in some cases, 40% and, and in some areas as much as 60%. Uh, so a very concerning stuff. And then, you know, here is the, uh, here is the evidence. So I'd like you to. Uh, view this for yourself and do share it with other people because we need to get the word out there, folks. Okay, uh, switching gears out of COVID over to the uh, Disinformation Governance Board, which was uh, recently pulled back by the Biden administration. Uh, they were making plans to censor all Americans who hold opposing views. So Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, who's also in the deck of cards, uh, who's the director of the Department of Homeland Security, lied to Congress when when he said that we're not going to do anything of the sort it's just a it's more of a committee that we're forming to to guide and 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 oversee standards and procedures and activities it was a complete lie they were planning on uh censoring everybody as we thought they were and they lied just as they always do so here's the proof folks that's what i like to share with you proof evidence facts things that you can use in your debates with folks online or when you're going out there educating people on social media um these are why i include the links of these articles in the show notes section so that you can share them with other people boy some scary stuff out of canada here a canadian attorney general announces citizens do not have the absolute right to own private property i, I watched the video this guy actually says it he says they don't have the right to own private property. Unfreaking believable. Uh, this is right after they they started taking away people's guns, and so it looks like Canada is sliding very rapidly into a socialist slash communist state uh, with an authoritarian government to back it up. So uh, we may very well soon be having to come to the aid of our Canadian neighbors uh, with this. Um, this this is just this is shocking news right here, folks. I I just. Uh, uh, very scary stuff. Very scary stuff to hear this out of a supposedly uh, democratic, um, you know, Western government. Very scary. Okay. Um, U.S. Department of Defense finally comes clean and admits in a public document that there are 46 U.S. military funded biolabs in Ukraine. And here's the news to back it up. Here's the facts to back it up. This is right here out of the U.S. Department of Defense uh, fact sheet. And in it, they do admit that there are bio labs in Ukraine, just like Russia said, right? Remember, this is Russian disinformation and uh, and Putin's lying and it's all an excuse to go and invade Ukraine. Well, um, truth came out. They do actually have the bio labs in Ukraine and they were a threat. They were manufacturing um, these things. They claim they're for peaceful purposes. Of course, that's what the government is going to say. That's for peaceful purposes. You know, we're trying to stop these diseases, right? Just like Fauci was trying to 
prevent the next outbreak from happening, but he inadvertently created a, an outbreak uh, with his work of creating um, gain-of-function viruses in a lab, and that's exactly what they're doing here in Ukraine. So uh, do, I, do I like Putin? No. Uh, do I think um, he has the right to, to stop somebody from threatening his country with bioweapons? Absolutely. Anyway, moving on. Um, kind of circling back to something we've been talking about recently, um, these um, seven large farms have uh, gone up in flames over the last 10 days here in the U.S. Um, the largest pork company in the U.S. shuts down in California due to high costs. And finally, here's a list of the U.S.-based food manufacturing plants destroyed under the Biden administration. So I think there's a war going on here, folks. Well, I've said it for a long time, but I think there's a war going on uh, in many fronts. As we said, that there's a biological war with COVID and the vaccine. There is a chemical war going on with uh, things like fentanyl being shipped into our country. There's an economic war being go going on. Uh, with uh, the propaganda coming out of China to shut down our economy for COVID, as well as now uh, Biden is participating in, in this by, uh, you know, cutting off our supply of energy or supply of fuel and oil. Uh, I think this is a concerted effort to bring America to its knees. And so this is what, what the Chinese call, um, they call it, um, it's uh, it's not asymmetric. Well, it is asymmetric warfare, but they, they call it uh, unrestricted warfare. So that means that they can it's not just, you know, troops on a battlefield. Right. Uh, they're using many different means and methods by which to attack a country. And I do think and I've thought this for a very long time that the United States is under attack. And this is just another example of that. Now they're trying to go after our food supply. Uh, one interesting note here at the bottom of this very long list is number ninety five. Irrigation was canceled in, in California, the number one producer of food in the US, U.S., and storage water was flushed directly out to the Delta. Right. So millions and millions of gallons of fresh water were flushed out into the ocean because of the to, to preserve the Delta smelt, which are a fish in the Sacramento Delta, Sacramento, Sacramento Delta, I can't even say that, which leads uh, right to the San Francisco Bay. And. Uh, yeah, so so the environmentalists in California demand that we save these fish. And so in order to do so uh, during a drought, during apparently the worst drought in, in U.S. history, in California's history, uh, we decided to flush millions and millions of gallons of fresh water out to the sea. So, again, uh, I believe this is a concerted effort to destroy our country and is being led in part by people in our own country. Um, who happen to be from the Democrat Party. That's not to say that Republicans are are uh, any less culpable, but uh, it seems as if uh, it is often coming from people like our governor, Gavin Newsom, or people like now Joe Biden in the White House. Um, moving on to uh, uh, pertinent news to our, our guest here. Um, the, um, the Here's an attack, of course, by The Guardian, warned... Uh, Warned of massive climate-led extinction, a U.S. energy firm funded crisis denial ads. And so this is the war of information that's going on right here, yet they're, they're calling it uh, crisis denial. That a Southern Company, uh, which is an energy company in the Southeast, they spent over $62 million to deny the impact of fossil fuel combustion on climate crisis. Well, it's not a denial. They're actually presenting evidence just much as our guest does in his book that there is no association between uh, carbon dioxide and 
the climate and the temperature and so on and so forth. And so, of course, they're ridiculed for trying to spread the truth here, um, as as we see once again. Um, uh, evidence suggests in our next article, global warming ran out of steam years ago. Experts argue global temps have remained flat for 20 years. Well, uh, it's it's much more than 20 years, but there has been a 20 year period uh, during which uh, things have leveled off recently. Uh, and then finally, an inconvenient truth for globalists, Arctic ice at a 30 year high. So data contradicts a connection with rising levels of CO2. So again, this is something that we're going to talk about with our guest, who I'm going to bring on right now, as a matter of fact. Um, and and uh, there, there is no direct correlation between CO2 and temperature rise or falling or, or what have you. So, um, But I'm, I'm going to step away and let the expert talk about it. So um, please join me in welcoming to our show today, Patrick Moore. Hi, Patrick. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for your for your patience. I, my news took a little bit longer than I hoped. I, I was really trying to, to to go through it so fast. So I appreciate you holding on and 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 taking the time to to spend with us today. Well, you covered a few subjects there. <laughs> yeah, just a couple. Um, there's so much really to cover these days. It seems as if the world is just getting crazier and crazier by the minute. And and one of the things that I I've noticed. Um, well, it's a conclusion I reached many years ago, and this is, I think, the philosopher Seneca also reached this conclusion, you know, a couple thousand years ago, which was that um, lack of information leads to fear, leads to misunderstanding, leads to anger. And and so uh, I try to give people as much information as I can to help them battle back against that fear, against that misunderstanding. And, and that's one of the things that I liked about your book. There are a lot of uh, subjects in there. Um, that that some I, I I was somewhat aware of and I and I had some information on, but others that I didn't. Things like um, the you know the GMOs or plastics or you know other other things that I thought were really dangerous to our health and to our environment. Uh, and it turns out that uh, no, that they're 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 benign. They, you know, there really isn't an issue. And um, and so your book really helped me to to um, have a better understanding of those subjects so uh, you know first of all thank you for doing that but um you know i i really just like to uh, to jump right in and talk about you know some of the subjects that that you cover in the book well the gmo one is kind of the most humorous in a macabre way because for example nearly two million children die of vitamin a deficiency every year more than 20 years ago two humanitarian scientists in europe invented golden rice, which is a genetically modified form of rice that contains beta carotene, which is what we make vitamin A with. Animals cannot produce vitamin A by themselves. All the vitamin A in an animal's body is from beta carotene from plants. And it's basically what makes carrots orange, which is why they're called carrots after carotene. Carrot, carotene, yeah. And yams and Corn, uh, the reason corn is yellow is because it has beta carotene in it. So anything with that sort of color. And every green leaf in the world has beta carotene in it. But rice, the grain of rice, has no beta carotene in it. Unlike corn and even potatoes under the skin, there's that bit of yellowishness. That's beta carotene. Huh. Huh. And so in, in tropical countries where rice is the staple, poor people get a cup of rice a day, and especially poor children. 
And that leads to blindness because beta carotene is vitamin A is essential for eyesight. But it's also, as they found only about 25 years ago, essential for your immune system. So children are dying from diabetes and Bengay and uh, malaria and things that they'd normally recover from if they had a better immune system by the hundreds of thousands a year. And the whole of the environmental movement, including my original Greenpeace group, are leading this campaign against all GMOs, even if they could save 2 million kids from starvation and death. Mm -hmm. So what is the bad thing in the GMOs? Because obviously, if you shouldn't eat GMOs, it must be because there's something bad in it. It doesn't have a name. It doesn't have a chemical formula. Everything has a name. So in fact, unlike CO2, which is invisible but is real, and radiation, which is invisible but real, Uh the bad thing in GMOs does not exist. Otherwise, it would have a name. What I have a question about, because I went and looked into this because of your book. What about something like BT corn? I know that that has really been a concern among people that you're you're genetically altering it to include um, a a bacteria. I believe it is Bacillus, Bacillus thuringiensis. I, I got that wrong, but <laughs> but yes, the bacteria. It's not the, you're not putting a bacteria into the corn. You're putting one of the genes uh-huh. from bacteria in the corn. And that bacteria has a gene that makes it so that it, well... I think the insects, they... Yeah, it it makes it so that the larvae of the butterflies and moths, which are the Lepidoptera, Uh cannot eat it because it's poisonous to them. Right. But it's not poisonous to mammals. It's not poisonous to birds. It's not poisonous to anything else. Right. So it does have a name. It's a gene from this bacteria, which is in all soil everywhere in the world. So we're all exposed to it all the time anyways. Right. Farmers used to use that before there was, I mean, this was, you know, if you want to call it old school genetic modification, uh, they they used to uh, extract and utilize that from the soil as a way. They they take the bacteria and breed them and spray the bacteria on their plants. And that is allowed in organic farming. Right. So it's allowed right. in organic farming, but it's not allowed to be used to make it so that the crops that are destroyed by the sure. insect larvae and, and, and with corn, the, the, the corn borer takes a, a type of fungus into the corn, which is poisonous to humans. So the, the BT corn is actually healthier than normal corn, huh. as well as as being a benefit to farmers in increasing their yield. Right. And there, 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 there have been billions of meals of GM crops eaten around the world, and there's never been a stomach ache. There's never right. been any negative fact determined from it, none. So that's that's an interesting one. But the the, the one that intrigues me the most is the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Yeah. And by the media has played it up, and if you go on the internet and look for images of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. All you get is photoshopped fake images. There's no actual picture of it anywhere because it doesn't exist. And you know it doesn't exist when a German satellite taking a composite of the whole Pacific Ocean over a year showing the whole Pacific Ocean clear of clouds because somewhere 
is clear of clouds somewhere at some point during the year. And so they, they put this together. And you can see the Hawaiian Islands very clearly, not just the big island, but even the little ones. Yeah, here, I'm going to... Pull one up for our guests or for our, our viewers to look at. This is one they use. This is one you have in your book. Yes, and that's in my book. And underneath it, in the in in the original, it says part of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. But if you look in the background, you can see yeah. that there's mountains there. Yeah. There's no mountains in the middle of the Pacific Ocean where they right. say this thing is. That's yeah. because this is the result of the Japanese tsunami and the 20,000 people who died in all the towns that were washed into the ocean. So to claim that this is because of CO2, when in fact it was because of a magnitude nine earthquake that right. caused a massive tsunami and killed 20,000 people, that's rather disrespectful uh, to, to fake it like that. Yeah. But, so that's the only real picture there is of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. All the rest are photoshopped, and the real one shows there isn't any such thing. And and but the other thing about plastic that's really interesting, it's odd that when the plastic enters the sea, it becomes deadly toxic. But when we wrap our food with it <laughs> and package our food in it to protect the food from contamination. It's not toxic then. Why would we wrap our food in something toxic? That's because plastic is entirely non-toxic. And the other contradiction is they claim that the sea is now full of microplastics and our right. blood has microplastics going into it. And then on the other hand, they say plastic won't break down for 2,000 years. Well, then where did the microplastic come from if it wasn't from plastic breaking down? Exactly. So there, there's no truth to any of it. But the, the cool thing is, is that plastic is actually beneficial in the ocean in two really important ways. Because really, when you think about it, there's no difference between plastic and driftwood if it's floating. Many right. marine species use plastic drifting in the sea as habitat. They attach themselves to it like barnacles and then crabs live there. And then other species of fish come around and you have a little ecosystem all around this piece of plastic hmm. that the, that the speed they're using it as if it was a reef, a floating reef, ah. because, you know, it, 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 one of the reasons there's not much life on the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico is because it's mud and nothing can attach itself to mud. They can go, worms can go down and live in the mud, mm -hmm. but where you have a coral reef, You've had a rock, a reef mm -hmm. that the corals could attach themselves to. These are called sessile marine species, species like barnacles and mussels that attach themselves. But they can't attach themselves to sand and mud. They can only attach themselves to rocks. Mm -hmm. And so plastic provides the same kind of thing, only floating. So if a log is floating out in the ocean, a lot of species will use it as habitat or a place to eat the things that are growing on it. Mm -hmm. That's the first reason why plastic is okay in the ocean, because it isn't toxic. If it was toxic, we would not put all our food in it. Right. And, you know, that's just so obvious. Right. But they make it seem as though it is. And then the other thing that's really cool about plastic is for the last 60 years since plastic was invented and got into the ocean, marine birds have been using it as a digestive aid in the same way that land birds use pebbles. All birds have two stomachs, one normal one like ours with acid in it to put the soft things to digest, mm -hmm. but another one 
where hard thing, harder things go that need to be ground up because birds don't have teeth. So, so they, they can't chew their food before they swallow it to make it, you know, to masticate it. Right. It goes down solid. So if a squid goes in a bird, it goes in as a solid squid. And that goes to the gizzard where with land birds, the pebbles are used as a grinding agent. In other mm -hmm. words, a digestive aid. It's a muscular stomach that is squeezing the food with the pebbles. Ah. In the sea, birds have a much harder time because there aren't a lot of pebbles in the ocean. They are on the bottom of the sea if sure. they're around somewhere. And so birds have used pieces of wood, hard pieces of wood. They will use pumice, which is volcanic ash coming up to the surface in small right. bits that it floats because it's full of air. And they use that, but it isn't always available. And they will use the beaks of the squid that they feed the, their young. This is when they're in the nest because the adults gather this stuff on their own for themselves all their lives. Sure. But when the bird's in a nest, the parents have to bring the bits of stuff, hard, hard small things, to the bird and give it to them. They're not feeding it to them because it's not food. They're giving it to them as a digestive aid. And plastic has made it much easier for marine birds to find suitable material to give their chicks as a digestive aid. It's as simple as that. And David Attenborough claims on his videos that adult albatross are feeding plastic to their chicks, mistaking it for food. Birds are not that stupid. I mean, yeah. bird brain, I know they say bird brain, but that doesn't mean they're stupid. It means that they know exactly what they're doing when they feed small bits of plastic to their chicks. It's so that their chicks can digest their food properly. And then the chicks throw a big ball of this stuff up because they have a lot of it in their gizzard when they're in the nest because the parents want them to grow up. And so they want them to eat a lot of food and get it digested and get it in their stomach. And then, but they could never fly with that much in their gizzard. So it's even got a name. It's called a bolus. And just before the chick fledges, it throws up this big ball of stuff, which includes a, a way more objects than they would have when they're adults and can fly. Then they're light enough to fly. Then the rest of their lives, just like land birds do all through their lives, because these hard objects eventually wear down in their gizzard. They don't last there forever because they're being used to grind with. And so when it comes right down to it, plastic is a net benefit in the ocean. There's simply no doubt about it. Interesting. It's, it's, yeah, because a lot of people, you know, vilify it and they'll say, well, you know, plastic is, and they're trying to make these connections that it's, 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 it's related to the rise in cancer or uh, yes. other diseases or, you know, I've, I've heard people say this, and maybe you can just co comment on this briefly, that things like uh, phthalates um, are are involved in endocrine disruption in the human body and, and that people should uh, avoid those. And, and perhaps, I mean, perhaps there are some bad chemicals out there, uh, but, I, but I think in large part, a lot of the plastics don't contain these chemicals, right? They're, they're, they're inert. You yes, know? well, phthalates are used to make vinyl soft. Vinyl is a very interesting material. It's made with natural gas and salt. And huh. that's why it has chlorine in it. And that's why Greenpeace calls it the poison plastic and why they call chlorine the devil's element, which is another giant scare story. Chlorine's just no basis in salt fact. water, right? Yes, uh, salt water. The main, the main salt in salt water is sodium chloride. Right. 
And chlorine is the most important element for public health in medicine beyond anything else by far, by putting it in to drinking water and swimming mm -hmm. pools and spas where people go together to prevent waterborne communicable disease, diseases like tetanus and cholera, sure. which, which were once a, a real plague. And, and, and not only that, about 80% of our pharmaceuticals are made with chlorine chemistry and about 25% of our ph pharmaceuticals contain chlorine. When I was a kid, iodine was the most important thing in your medicine cabinet because mm. it kills bacteria. Iodine is in the same family with fluorine, chlorine, bromine, and iodine. Those are the halogens. They right. are very, very, very strong disinfectants because they kill bacteria on straight boom, dead. Uh -huh. and, and therefore, if you got a cut, I grew up in the wilderness where there was no doctor, no nurse, no nobody. You had to, it took eight hours in a boat to get to a doctor. Wow. But if you cut yourself badly, iodine is the first thing you put into the cut to make Sterilize sure it. you don't get infected and, and that yeah. you start to heal. So we're for Greenpeace to call chlorine the devil's element and, and, and vinyl the poison plastic. There's nothing poisonous about vinyl. It's our credit cards are made out of it. Our computers are made out of it. Half the world is made out of the stuff. And, it, it, and, and they just make up this scare story about it. And phthalates, even the EPA has rejected the opposition to, th to phthalates after a long struggle. They, they said it's fine. And even DDT, which, really? which was banned worldwide, and it should have been banned for broad scale use in farming, where it was just being sprayed over fields all over the world. But it should not have been banned for the control of malaria. And the and the and the control of mosquitoes that carry malaria. That that and 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 the the absolutism of these people, right? Chlorine can be good for some things and bad for other things. It's not good when you use chlorine as a weapon of war, as a gas. Right. right. But but chlorine is the most important element for public health and medicine. So when it came to toxicology and chemistry. It ended up I was the only person in the board of directors of Greenpeace International with any formal science education. All the others were lay people, political activists, social activists, entrepreneurs looking for a job in the environmental movement, which by that time was paying a decent living wage. And they just took it over. And they, and, and they took, like, you don't have to be a PhD biologist to want to save the whales. You don't need to know about the biology of whales to want to save the whales from extinction. Sure. You, 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 don't, you, you don't have to be a nuclear scientist to be against nuclear war. You know, that, that, but you do have to know something about chemistry and toxicology to try and figure out how you should have rules for chemicals. Some, sh sh some should be used for the things that they're useful for and others should be banned that the things where they're dangerous for and the first rule just like in medicine the first rule is cause no harm in toxicology the first rule is the poison is in the dose so for example back to sodium chloride table salt it is an essential nutrient for all mammals and well right. all life actually Right. All plants have sodium chloride in them too. It is so in the, the, the electrochemical process, right? But at a certain level, like about half a cup, you, you, you swallow a half a cup of table salt, you're dead. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, you'll dehydrate and you'll, you'll you'll die. Exactly. And so that's what people have to understand is that at certain levels, many things are not only beneficial, but requirements need they're needed for life at higher levels. They're toxic. So mm. and radiation is exactly in that same category. As a matter of fact, most people have never been taught the word hormesis, which means that a, a certain level of radiation is actually beneficial because it challenges the body's cellular repair mechanism and makes it stronger. Uh-huh. You know, if you challenge something, that, that, that system learns to be stronger. All right, simply if you challenge your muscles, right, uh, yeah. they become stronger. It's the same sort of thing. Right. And yet at high levels, radiation will kill you, of course. But also at a certain level, radiation will cure you from cancer. Mm-hmm. So very good point. Yes, it's the same thing. And this is where Moderation. I went wrong in the early years of the movement by lumping nuclear energy in with nuclear weapons, when nuclear energy should actually be lumped in with nuclear medicine as hmm. a beneficial right. use of nuclear technology. Right. And they've got everybody all scared of nuclear energy when it happens to have the lowest casualty rate of any energy technology per unit of energy produced. It's the safest one. Only Chernobyl caused death to people. And it was a stupid design reactor that the Russians built behind the Iron Curtain during the Cold War. In order, They took a shortcut to make reactors for electricity where they just cookie-cuttered the same ones they were using to make plutonium for nuclear weapons. Wow. And they weren't safe. They had a, a thing called a negative coefficient of whatever that made it so they could actually blow up like an atomic bomb. Three Mile Island and Fukushima didn't blow up. They just melted down. All right. They didn't have the water to cool them down. They needed water to cool them for four days after they shut down, but they had no cooling water because they were stupid in their design in the first place. Mm -hmm. So there was a great deal of stupidity involved and lack of of learning from outside. The Japanese are fairly insular in their... uh, thinking they're, they know everything kind of thing because they don't even like other people coming there to live there. And hmm. they, don't, they don't have open borders. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> Most so, countries don't. And they, and they don't have open minds in a lot of ways. And, the, and Fukushima was an example of that, I where they, they built the reactor eight feet above sea level where they knew there had been a 50-foot tsunami in the past. Yeah. And, and they put the uh, backup diesel generators to keep the cooling working if power got lost from the reactors and from the grid so they had no power they had a diesel generator to pump the water they put those on skids in front of the reactors next to the ocean so when the tidal wave came an hour after the react the generators had started they were providing the cooling water but the skids the reactors were on skids and so were their fuel tanks attached by a hose and boom it all got swept away and so that was the stupidity part, one, one of the stupidity right. parts of Fukushima. But it, 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 the, these, react, these Fukushima and Three Mile Island, no one died from radiation in those accidents. Huh. Only, right. only in Chernobyl. Of all the, like there's 440 nuclear reactors operating every day in the world. There's nearly 100 plus Canada. There's more than 100 in North America. And no one has ever been injured by them from radiation. People get hurt on the job with tools and stuff, but mm-hmm. nobody's been injured from radiation from nuclear plants operating in our two countries. And so 
it's just ridiculous that people are opposed to nuclear energy, especially when no other technology could take out as much fossil fuels as nuclear could. I'm in favor of reducing fossil fuel consumption, but has nothing to do with the climate or CO2. It has to do with the fact that these are limited, precious resources, sure. whereas there's enough nuclear fuel to last for tens of thousands of years, and anything that is stationary can be supplied with electricity and heat from nuclear energy. That means mm -hmm. all our buildings, all our air conditioning, all our hot water, anything that all our steel making, anything that's stationary. Because with electricity, you need a wire to go to something, and you cannot have a car going 400 miles with a wire behind it. Right. And so mobile technology is much more difficult to replace uh, in terms of fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. And now, now they want to build all these batteries. You know, you know, the math around this whole wind and solar thing is so insane. Yeah. When, well, when so solar and wind are, are op operate about one third of the time, they can provide about one third of the energy a city needs every day. The rest of the time, something else has to do it. So if you're going to go to all wind and solar with battery backup, you have to have two thirds of all the energy being provided by the batteries. That means that when the wind is blowing and the sun is shining, those technologies not only have to supply the city and all the industry with the grids requirement, but also charge the batteries at the same time. In other words, you have to build at least three times as much generating capacity with, with technology that costs more, even without the batteries. Mm -hmm. And then you have to somehow make enough batteries to provide two thirds of the US right. world's electricity and then run all the cars on it too. Right. It's, right? it's, it's impossible. I mean, it they're trying to technically and economically impossible. And, and the, the economic, they have to worried about not economic, uh, the, the, um, the impact to the environment is what they're concerned about, but people don't consider what it takes to manufacture one of these batteries and the, the amount of mining that goes into it and the energy used and the, and the, and the, you know, the hydrocarbons used um, yep. in that process as well. So they're actually using more uh, uh, fossil fuels to produce these batteries, which uh, also, well, we don't we don't know that we, nobody has bothered to do a feasibility study or an economic analysis of this yeah. thing and on a broad on a global scale. Right. Nobody has bothered to do that. But it takes half a million pounds of material to be processed to make one battery for one car. Wow. For half one car. million pounds for right. one car. Mark Mills of the Manhattan Institute in New York is probably the leading person on this how much material, like a thousand times as much concrete is needed for wind as is for the same amount of energy from gas, for example. And concrete is a very energy uh, intensive thing. You have to burn limestone. What are you going to use for fuel to burn limestone? You know, the whole thing is so ridiculous that right. environmental movement is basically against fire, never mind fossil fuels. Yeah. They're, they're against biomass energy. They're against using wood. Like wood, the, the use of wood for fire was the beginning of human civilization. If you want sure. to look at any one thing that was actually the very beginning of the technology that allowed humans to be different 
from animals that don't have fire and steel and concrete. It was the use of fire, sure. burning wood, and to keep the cave warm and to cook your food. Right. And which allowed were, us to eat more food, which allowed our yes. brains to grow, which, right. They were pretty uh, important advances. Yeah. And, and now these guys, these people are actually against fire. And they want to now, and now they want to pull the CO2 back out of the atmosphere and bury it in the ground. Where do they think it came from in the first place? Right. And all what the, do they all think the it's CO2 doing? we it's are releasing. It's feeding plants, it's feeding trees, and trees give us the oxygen. It's like it's like yes. these people had, didn't take a basic biology or a basic science class in high school. I mean, I'm not a doctor or a PhD, and I understand the basic, simple yeah. principle of of the exchange of uh, CO2 for oxygen that plants provide through photosynthesis. But the, the, the absolutely insane thing is they refuse to accept the fact that all the oxygen, all the CO2 we are releasing by burning the fossil fuels and making cement came from the in air in the first place and the ocean. It was in the cycle. All Already. of that was all of that loss of CO2 was caused by life. Life was actually in the process of extinguishing itself when we came along as CO2 had sunk to the lowest in the history of the earth at, at the peak of the most recent glacial maximum. The, mm -hmm. the, we're in the Pleistocene Ice Age for one thing. It's colder now than it has been for 250 million years. Yes, 20,000 years ago it was colder because it was a glacial maximum. There have been 40 of them in the Pleistocene Ice Age. And in between those 40, there's been these interglacial periods, which we are in now, about to leave, actually, from all in, 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 uh, evidence, mm -hmm. and, and, and go into an 85,000-year slide into the next glacial maximum. These are 100,000-year cycles. They've been going on for a million years. And so the... the the fact of the matter is, is that life, by taking the trees and the marine sediment and turning those into fossil fuels and taking the carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it in sediment where it's so-called sequestered, lost right. to yeah. the cycle, CO2 has been constantly going down all through the history of life. That's because life has been taking it out, using it for itself, and then depositing it on the bottom of on the land and in the oceans it got buried as coal it got made into oil and gas by sediments of life going to the bottom of the sea and just constantly kept going down till at the peak of the last ice age it went to 180 parts per million which is only 30 parts per million above the death of plants and so we wow. have come along just in time and the irony of this is it was totally inadvertent that life did this the marine calcifying species have taken most of it out and they did it to make armor plating for themselves. The mussels and the crabs and, and the shrimp uh -huh. and the coral reefs are about 50% of it. Wow. They've been pulling calcium and carbon out of the ocean to make calcium carbonate, which is what the, all the limestone on the earth came from life. Uh-huh. And they've been pulling it out of the air and the water, well, mostly out of the water, but it came from the air to go into the water in the first place because it came from volcanoes in the early history of the Earth when sure. it was much more active. And over the last half billion years, it's gone from 10,000 parts per million to 180 in a very steady downward curve. Wow. Whereas temperature has just been going up and down. 
there's been hot periods and cold periods called ice ages and then high hot house periods as they're called uh, -huh. uh and and the last ice age was ended 250 million years ago and this one we're in now only started 2.5 million years ago the last and, one was 100 million years long during and the I've, I've heard people i've heard people say that you know while the the parts per million of CO2, you know, at 10,000, you know, it was much greater in the past. However, those animals were more adapted to uh, living in that environment. Now, in your book, you show that not to be true as, as well, right? That animals now are very adaptable to varying levels of CO2. Is that correct? Animals don't really care much about the level of CO2 until it becomes an asphyxiant where it's actually preventing you from getting oxygen. It's not toxic in itself. It's sort of like water that way. When you drown, it's not because water is toxic. You drown because it prevents you from breathing. Right. And, and, and we, we actually exhale 40,000 ppm of CO2 every breath. 40,000. Wow. So we are the worst polluters on the planet. Our lungs are capable of dealing with 40,000 ppm of CO2. Wow. Submar su submariners at for three months underwater are allowed to have five to 8,000 ppm CO2. And that's just, that's because they're using a really con conservative number. They could be fine in 20,000. Wow. It's thought that the, the Apollo 13 had got up to 40,000 or so before they figured out how to make that instrument work to reduce the CO2. Hmm. So CO, CO2 is, is not toxic, but it can be an asphyxiant. In other words, it, you can drown from it in the sense that you drown from water. Right. But, uh, and plants, I don't think there is a limit for plants. Well, the, the, the plants, that's the main, the main thing they take out of the atmosphere is CO2. There's nothing, the only other thing they really need is water and the minerals in the rocks. So if you, if you look at it that way, the, the sky's the limit for plants. And, and the, there's a reason why greenhouse growers almost always use 800 to 1200 ppm CO2. In other words, double to triple what it is even after we've brought it up to over 400. The plants are still uh, want are, are still basically on a starvation diet for CO2 even today. Mm -hmm. They would prefer to have somewhere between 800 and 2,000 ppm. And and the reason C4 plants developed, uh, the C3 and C4 plants are a designation that has to do with the way in which they they time their photosynthesis. And C4 plants did not exist until CO2 got it started getting so low that the C3 plants were not as competitive anymore. And C4 plants evolved with a more efficient photosynthetic system. And corn is one of those, many of the grasses. Hmm. C3 plants are still the majority of plants, but the C4 plants would have eventually taken over completely as all the C3 plants died from starvation. And you'd have a whole, and then the C4 plants would die because they need CO2 as well. So as long as there was a net sequestration of carbon into the soils and, and the fossil fuels, and especially the calcifying marine organisms, which suck it out by the billions of tons at a time. And it, when, it, when it gets put on the ocean bottom and turns into limestone, it's not coming back. Right. 
And the only reason it's coming back is because we make cement with it. So about five to 10% of our CO2 emissions are from cement manufacturing. Hmm. And we could actually make, see, I think someday every country will have a quota of how much CO2 they must produce each year in order to keep it at a desirable level because life will continue to take it out given, and, and it was inadvertent. They didn't do, do it for that reason, that, that life didn't decide, oh, we've got to get rid of this CO2. They decided to make calcium carbonate armor plating for themselves. Sure. You can imagine a, a clam with no shell on it. Wouldn't right. be, would be pretty easy pickings. Right. And, 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 and as all you the say- other shelled animals, they use it as a protection, as a same as a, a knight in shining armor. Right. Well, and, and fortunately for the earth, like you said, humans came along and we started releasing that. We started, uh, uh, you know, utilizing these uh, sequestered carbon dioxide molecules um, yes. in in uh, in ways that using fire, for example, is one way to release them from the, the wood and the trees. Um, and and so it seems as if nature has sought to balance itself with humans. And that's the the exact the inversion of what these folks are trying to say. They're saying well, you that can, yes, are, you, you can e- you can either say it's divine intervention, or you can just say it's an amazing uh, coincidence that we inadvertently, by using these materials, we weren't doing it in order to increase CO two. We were doing it to keep warm and make electricity and make cement and all the other things, mm-hmm. but inadvertently, just as life had inadvertently sucked it all out mm-hmm. by making fossil fuels and, and, and calcium carbonate shells for themselves, we are putting it back in inadvertently, saving life from a certain demise at some point in the future when, when, when there just simply wouldn't be, because there isn't enough CO2 being put into the atmosphere by volcanoes for the last billion years. Right. To keep up with what life is doing in sequestering it. So someday every country will be required to put CO2 into the atmosphere at a certain level, according to their population and their wealth or whatever, or their capability. And there'll be an international treaty that will that will say, I this year you have to put this much in or you're you know, you're not in the club anymore or whatever. And and we can do that with solar energy. They have made solar energy that can make cement from limestone. Wow. So you don't wow. need to use, right now we usually use gas and old tires and there's, you know, we burn just about anything to turn calcium carbonate into calcium oxide, which is lime, which is the basis for cement mm-hmm. and CO2 goes up. Mm-hmm. And so we can do that with solar energy and, and we could build large uh, factories that is main job would be to put CO2 into the atmosphere and keep it at a decent level. Wow. I mean, that's so, that's such a, a one, a 180 from what we're being told right now by a lot of these environmental groups. And it seems to me, this is, I mean, just my own observation, but it seems to me like their policies are well-intentioned, but the end results are disastrous. For example, like forest management here in California, um, it used to be to where you know the forests were managed. They were they were thinned out. The dead wood was removed, uh, you know, by either lumber companies or uh, even just by people foraging, right? And they would they would clean up kind of the underbrush and these things that contribute to these massive wildfires, right? Um, 
So it, it seems like, and it really just really irks me when I hear our governor, uh, Gavin Newsom, saying that these forest fires are due to climate change, when it actually is due to mismanagement of the forests. When you think, Nick, going back even to the native peoples, they used wood as their fuel. So mm -hmm. every fall, they would gather all the dead wood around their village and clean the forest floor of the fuel that could cause these catastrophic fires. They also used, like Australia called, Australian Aboriginals called it the fire stick. But the native people here in North America did the same thing as to burn off the grass in the spring when it's still cool and moist. And when it's not windy. And they, 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 they managed that way. And even later when we started civilization, the people didn't have fossil fuels yet. And they would, even in big towns, they would go out and clean all the forests of the dead wood. It's the easiest wood to get. Mm. Maybe they'd also be felling some trees and splitting wood too, and drying it before the winter. But they would keep the forests clean. Europeans to this day come to North America and go like, why are you making such a mess here? Why don't you clean this place up? Sure. Because you know, they like their forest to be kind of neat and tidy. Right. On the I other hand, Trump, Trump pointed out that he says, you know, be like that. You know, in Germany, that's what they do. You know, he he kind of mistakenly said they rake or that you know they rake the floor. Yeah. Uh, people took that to mean that they're out there with rakes, but I think what he was saying was that they 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 clean the forest floor. You know, in a sense, rake it of this all this dead matter that contributes to these massive fires, right? You can be too extreme in that too, in that the structure of materials on the forest floor is, is related to habitat for insects and frogs and right. whatever. You don't want it sterile. You don't want to remove everything. Well, you don't want it to look like a parking lot. No. Right. And, and so there's a, there's a, there's a happy medium here, but if you look at the campfire in paradise, in California that happened there. They built suburbs right in a pitchy pine forest, right in it. The trees were like 50 feet from the houses. You, you just don't do that. And you then don't... the pine, pine trees, have that's fuel. I mean, yes. literally, the, the pine tar we're, in there we're, is. Yeah, where, whereas oaks and beech and, and all of broadleaf trees don't have that. And they, they there's you can't make a crown fire go in those species. So when you're going to go into a big coniferous forest and make a town, you should cut almost all the coniferous trees out, leave some beautiful ones, some old ones, and leave big areas of open ground. Think of Central Park in New York, uh -huh. right? And the landscaping that it has. It's got lots of trees in it, but it has a ton of lawns and shrubs and open spaces. You're never going to get a wildfire going through Central Park. And so, but they, they, they want to be in nature, I guess. And that's what happened to them. I mean, yeah. actually, way more trees survived than buildings. Uh, the, right. the buildings were just gone problem. right down to the concrete pad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, quite it's terrible. But, you know, that, that I think, uh, in addition to properly uh, structuring the town or, or, or at least the surrounding area, uh, you know, here in California, we have a lot of dead trees there, there's a bark beetle out here a bark beetle infestation that has killed yes. a lot of trees and uh, along with that coupled together with the drought uh, has resulted in a lot of dead timber yet uh, nobody is allowed to go in and clear that out and and when then when, when a fire happens all of a sudden you've got all this really extra 
a dry fuel that that it just yeah. it, it, it creates oh, a, a wildfire, that, massive fire. That's just plain stupid. Uh, in in British Columbia here, where the forests are largely publicly owned, but they're owned by the provinces in the same sort of way as state forests in the U.S. But most of in the West, most of the public land is federal. Like Idaho is seventy percent owned by Washington. Right. And 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 so the 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 control is from away, and that's one of the reasons you have most of these big fires start on federal lands, and you go down to the to the southeast where huh. it, where there's also vast areas of forest. I mean, Mississippi has the highest percent of forest of any state in the U.S. That whole southern tier of states, from Florida to Louisiana and into West Texas, yeah, East Texas, sorry, very deep, densely wooded, East Texas, densely uh -huh. wooded. And there's very few forest fires there because it's managed properly, because the people who are managing it don't want the trees to burn down. Whereas in the federal lands, in both in the in, in the parks, which it's understandable that you're not allowed to just clear cut the parks. But even in the national forests, which were originally designated for multiple use, including forestry, there's really no forestry done in them. So there is no income from these lands. They are a cost. Right. So you don't have any money to do anything with. Right. And that, that's the real problem. And green politicians in the cities with all their green supporters are, are basically supporting policies that result in these massive wildfires. Yeah. Yeah. The policies are, are ridiculous. I mean, they, they want to stop selling, uh, you know, gasoline powered cars here in California by 2030. No, no new gas powered cars. So they essentially want to switch everybody over eventually to electric cars. Well, we, we don't even have the infrastructure, the electrical infrastructure in place to handle the, the just the, the, the houses and the cars that we have now. Right. Uh, I don't know how they expect we're going to electrify millions of new electric cars, first of all, without the means of production for the electricity, because they keep shutting down plants here. They're shutting down the gas powered plants They're shutting down our last nuclear plant here at Sun and Ofri. Um, and and then there's there again, there's not the infrastructure set up to deliver that electricity, uh, let alone. I mean, how, how are you going to have people in an apartment building, you know, 50 apartments? What are they going to run, you know, uh, extension cords out of their windows to, to power these cars? It just doesn't make sense. So, again, on the surface, it feels really good. Yeah, we're going to save the environment. We're going to electrify everything. No more gas-powered cars and all this nasty CO2 and pollution. Uh, uh, but they don't think it through. I mean, first of all, we, as we know through you that, that the CO2 is not the enemy. But they don't think through these policies and then how are we going to arrive there? How are we going to deliver this to people? And and I'm just I'm I'm really at the end of my rope at trying to understand how people keep voting for these folks. I'm starting to think that they're not voting for these folks. I, I think they've been rigging elections for quite a while here in California. Uh, you know, not to get too far off the subject um, because it's. No, but here's here's an here's an example of, of a really stupid move. And that is to ban the use of natural gas for cooking and yeah. heating in homes. Yeah. Instead, you use the natural gas to make electricity, and then you use the electricity to heat the home and cook your food. That's a two-stage process. None of these systems, especially the use of natural gas, is like about, at best, 50% efficient. Mm -hmm. So you end up using way more gas to create the electricity 
to create the electricity to heat your home and 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 yeah. and, and cook your food. Yeah, because you lose it during the transmission of that. Yeah, yeah it, it's absolutely nuts. And energetically, it's it actually produces more CO two than if you let the people use gas. Right. Because yeah. the, the gas furnaces are ninety percent efficient. There is no electricity generating machine that is ninety percent efficient. It, it's I think technically it would be completely impossible because mm -hmm. almost all almost all generating machines uh, that are using fossil fuels and nuclear are based on steam running a turbine mm -hmm. and you can't make a turbine 90% efficient it's just not possible but you can make burning gas 90% efficient and right. there you go and right. there's so and, many and, other and, you know we have an, and we have enough of that right now uh, I, I was reading an, an article from someone who works in the the Gulf of Mexico who says that, you know, they say we're running out of, of these things. Um, he says, we've got enough oil just here in the Gulf of Mexico to fuel the United States for the next 400 years. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I, I just have to take his word for it. But but, you know, we're, we're, we're not at the point at which we're, we're going to run out of this. Should we conserve them? Sure. I, I agree with you 100 percent on that. But what they're doing is, is they're putting the cart in front of the horse here. Like I, Joe Biden said the other day, he goes, you know, this is this transition is going to be painful. Well, they're transitioning to something that's not there yet. It's like they're they're trying to sew together a parachute after they've jumped out of the airplane. There's there's nothing to transition to. What are we going to do? I think we're going to fail um, at at trying to do that. Uh, it may cause a lot of pain, just like he says, but it will have been so completely unnecessary because all we have all we have to do is follow Russia, China, and India's example in building more nuclear plants. Mm -hmm. India is building twenty four. China's building forty. Russia's building. A dozen or whatever. China, Russia is actually on the technology side way ahead of anybody else. They have the BN 800. I think BN stands for big nuclear. Maybe it's same words in Russian. I don't know, but sounds it, good. I like these, it. these plants are using the nuclear waste and it's not nuclear waste because it's fuel. Mm -hmm. 90% plus of the energy is still in the used fuel that's taken out from the first cycle. We can use all of the uranium and all of the thorium in the world as fuel. There's tens of thousands of years of nuclear fuel. It, it's clean. Yeah, because it's, it's economical. It, 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 all it does is radiate heat, and that heat boils the water, which creates the steam, which turns the turbine. Exactly. So it's very clean. It's totally clean. There, there is no combustion involved like there is with gas and coal and oil. Sure. So it, it has that benefit although we've done pretty good at learning how to burn gas and coal and, 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 and oil cleanly with catalytic converters and scrubbers and all the stuff we've invented. Yeah, very cleanly. Uh, it's, it's very clean. And I don't think we need to worry too much about the emissions at that level. Right. But now they're all worried about CO2 as, as if it's some kind of toxic. Yeah, gas. they say it's the, you know, this boogeyman, this greenhouse gas, right? But uh, as, we, as we've been discussing here, you know the the and I, and I think you said in your book that greenhouse is actually a misnomer. Uh, it would it would indicate that it's being trapped in, um, or, or that the light is being trapped in by these gases, and that's just well, it was not it true. was unfortunate that the term greenhouse was adopted for gases like CO two and water 
which have the effect of enhancing warming, mm -hmm. except that CO2 is such a minor greenhouse gas, mm -hmm. and there are so many other factors involved that the historical record indicates that it is almost always drowned out, that it simply doesn't have the muscle at such low concentrations as it is. I mean, it's 0.04 parts, you know, percent, 0.04% of the atmosphere is mm -hmm. CO2. It, right. It so is a greenhouse gas, but also the, the higher the CO2 goes, the less each increment is effective. It has okay. a, it, it dampens its effect as it becomes more concentrated. Interesting. So it is believed by all the people I respect as physicists, as atmospheric physicists, that a doubling of CO2 has less than one degree change in temperature at the level that it's in now. Hmm. And they go on as if 1.5 degrees is going to be the end of the world. Like it was eight degrees colder at that mo most recent uh, glacial maximum. Mm -hmm. And it's been 16 degrees higher on global average mm -hmm. through the history of life. Right. And what people forget is that every single one of us, not just the people, but all the plants and all the animals and insects and fish and everything else, every individual like you and I represent a continuous successful reproduction since the beginning of life. Hmm. Otherwise we wouldn't have been here. We would have been tr pruned off the genetic sure. uh, tree of life. Sure. Right. So we're, we are the most toughest bunch that's ever lived because we have been through more history right. in terms of the evolution to get here where we are now. And, and we can adapt. But you know, I think, I think their, their big argument is that if we warm up, then the polar ice caps are going to melt. Um, and they've been saying that now for, they said, well, by 2020, you know, the ice caps are going to be completely gone and, yeah. and we're going to flood all the coastal cities. And they, they keep moving that. Now they're saying, well, in, by 2050, uh, you know, it's going to happen. And it's just, not, it's just not happening. It doesn't happen that fast ever and it never will. And as a matter of fact, the Arctic is still completely covered. The Arctic Ocean is completely covered in ice every winter still. And this is not going to happen in a hurry. Like I say about sea level rise, which is why they're so worried about this, because there's actually nothing particularly good about ice. It's a pretty lifeless place. Sure. You know, how much life is there at the South Pole? Only a couple of research stations where they have to fly in the food. Right. So it, it, the warmer places are the most desirable places. That's where most of the species live. As you go from Makes the sense. equator to the North Pole, species diversity drops dramatically as soon as you get to where it freezes in the mm -hmm. winter. Because ice is the enemy of life. Yeah. There's simply no doubt about that. But I don't know what they, why they're so hipped on well, the ice. It's so funny. And the people who claim that this is the case, that we're, you know, we're going to be flooding the coastlines, they're all buying up beachfront property. It, it's, but, but, but the two key points are, is first, you won't have to run. Okay. Right? Okay, good. It's not going to come that quickly. It's going to be coming at half a centimeter a year, and it isn't even that much now. It's like two centimeters, a, sorry, millimeters a year, two millimeters a year, right? Okay. So, but if you really want to make sure that your place doesn't flood if the tide comes in a little too high, you hire the Dutch. They're experts at this. Good point. 25% of Holland is below sea level. And they've been dealing with rising sea level for hundreds of years. 
not, it hasn't risen very much in the last hundreds of years. As a matter of fact, in the last 7,000 years, it's just gone up and down a little bit at a time. And it, it may eventually go down again when this global, when this uh, modern warm period, which we're about 300 years into now, mm-hmm. only has like maybe another 200 years to go. And we, we might, if we're lucky, get another degree of warming out of this. Sure, so, and save uh, off the actual, the global cooling, uh, which is, yeah, which is another issue to be They're totally exaggerating the effect of one degree. You know, yeah. it's ridiculous. One yeah. degree makes hardly any difference, although it does move the area where you can grow food another uh, 100 kilometers or so further north all across Canada and Russia, which is a pretty big swath of, ter- of territory. Sure. Uh, it's sure. too cold. I, I'm. You see the picture behind me there. That's the view from my place on Vancouver Island, and I'm That's barely beautiful. more than halfway to the North Pole from the equator. Yeah, right? I, I'm at I'm at 49 degrees latitude here. Uh huh. And there's it goes up to 90. Right. And and it isn't far north of me here where it's frozen solid all winter. If you look at a map of North America in the middle of the winter, there's there's no place except this tiny strip on the west coast about 50 miles wide that is green, right? Everything else is white. Yeah, because so, of the, 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 the uh, isn't that the temperature of the ocean that, that keeps it kind of moderate, right? Yes, um, yes. Well, the Aleutian okay. Islands, for example, uh, being way out in the ocean, uh, one of the reasons there's no trees there is not because it's too cold for trees to grow. It's because it isn't warm enough in the summer for them to produce seed. Ah. Whereas you go to the, the, the Arctic, area say the Mackenzie river area in canada where it's 60 below in the winter Whew. those trees are growing there because it gets warm enough in the summer for ah. them to produce seed whereas ah. where, where they're surrounded by a cold ocean yeah. i figured that out on my first greenpeace voyage on the way to stop nuclear testing in alaska wow because the, the tree line goes down on kodiak island and drops beneath the sea about halfway along going going west uh-huh the tree line just drops below the sea, and that's where it's now too too cold in the summer for the trees to have enough energy to produce seed. Because seed production requires extra energy over just producing leaves. Yeah, leaves. yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Now, now speaking of Greenpeace, uh, kind of as we're wrapping things up here, um, I'm curious to know: was there a, kind of an aha moment where you realized that? This is something's not right here. Was it something that happened gradually over time? You know, what was what really prompted your decision to move away from the organization that you essentially helped found? There were two distinct points here. One was a philosophical, intellectual point where the movement started characterizing humans as the enemies of the earth, the enemies of life. And that is like way too much like original sin for me. Um, the fact is humans are not any more sinful than any other form of life. There's bad, bad tigers. Uh, sure. and, and, and so that, that was from an ecology point of view, we are all part of this ecosystem. Humans evolved from life, just like everything else did. We're a very unique and, and in some ways weird and so interesting a species compared to many of the others, but they all have their attributes. Um, and we are one of them. And, and actually, we, we collectively as a species do care about the environment. And do you think beetles care about the environment? You know, so th- that, that really made me feel like I got to get out of something that has this kind of 
um, anti-human anti-human philosophy yeah so, so that was the general thing and that that did gradually get me to think i should get out but the sharp end of the stick was when greenpeace international board of directors of which i was one of six decided to ban chlorine worldwide as a campaign to just say we're going to ban chlorine worldwide and I tried to, desperately to explain to them that chlorine was the most important element for public health and medicine and that that would be a stupid thing to do and they should be a bit more selective in which uh, chemicals that, it, that contained chlorine should be controlled uh, in certain ways. And banning a chemical uh, is just meaningless. I mean, you can't actually ban chlorine. It's the 11th most common element in the Earth's crust. Sure. And uh, it is an essential nutrient when attached to sodium. Uh, so that I couldn't, I could not be as a scientist and environmentalist in an organization that campaigned to ban chlorine worldwide. Simple as that. Okay. Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not even, well, it was, a, you know, a bit of a crisis of conscience of, uh, of you know, uh, humans being bad, but then also just, Really, it comes down to uh, scientific literacy and understanding uh, yes. the usefulness of of a, such a basic element like chlorine. And uh, it's sad to think that you know, I think like a like a lot of things, um, people start out. They say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? And yes. and I think there were many good intentions behind um, Greenpeace. I'm sure I'm sure you you didn't start out with the, the intention to do any harm or anything. Um, but ultimately, over time, like a lot of human institutions, uh, you know, they stray and or, they, you know, they, they become um, misled. And and so it's kind of sad to see that that that, that occurred. But um, I, I'm glad also, I think that you came forward. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's really it takes a, a big person to admit that, hey, you know, I, I, I was I was wrong about these certain things. I discovered new information. Here's what I discovered. And, and then turning around and, and sharing it with people. And so I want to thank you for doing that. And thank you for, um, for creating your book, for writing your book. I mean, it was a fantastic read. I, I highly recommend it to people. It's, um, it's something that it's not, it doesn't get really into technical things, although there is some technical terminology. Um, it's very accessible to the layman, to, you know, to the average person to, um, to understand. And I think it gives, it's very well, um, very well presented. And, and so it was very enjoyable to read. So yes, Nick, uh, it has, it has almost 2000 reviews on Amazon, um, which is a lot for, for a book of that type. And uh, it has received, uh, it's 95% four and five star reviews. Uh, it is accessible to anyone with a good command of the language and of logic. Mm -hmm. And uh, it can be read by a grade nine that is, you know, doing well in the sciences. Uh, it, it doesn't have big words, but it really does uh, cover the basis of how many of the scare stories today are based on things that are either invisible or so remote that no one can see them for themselves. And as you mentioned earlier, science yeah. is a process. It's a process of discovery that begins with observation, goes through verification, and then replication in order to get a theory uh, in science. It's, it's not like politics, 
and people think that, that there's a consensus about this about the climate. Consensus right. has no place in science. It, it isn't even a meaningful word in science, whereas it is a very important word in politics. If you don't have consensus, you probably got a dictatorship. But uh, in, in science, almost all the main discoveries have been by individuals or maybe two people coincidentally at once, but it's never by a committee that you, you have a scientific discovery. It's always, and, ma and many of the main discoveries like uh, Darwin, for example, died before most people respected what he had done. And same with Galileo. Uh, he, he had to admit he was wrong in order not to be put to death. Right. And, and, and so I think people don't have res the, the respect they should for these pioneers who actually figured out something that no one had figured out before. And, and then were vilified for doing that because it went against the popular consensus. And I thank you very much for having me on. You're, you're a very enjoyable person to be interviewed by, and you have such a wide spectrum of interests. I'm very impressed with that. You covered a lot of points there early in the show. So th thanks, Nick, and I hope to see you again. Well, it's, it's been my pleasure. And, and thank you for those kind words. And again, thanks for, for coming on the show and sharing with us your knowledge. And uh, that's what we're about here at, at Free America is really giving people the information that they, meet, they need to make informed and logical decisions. Um, and so thanks for helping us do that and, and for uh, the book, which we will include a link. Do you have a website or anything uh, that people yes, can visit? Yes, it's ecosense.org. Ecosense.org. Yep. All right, and, great. And I'm I'll, on Twitter. If you, you can find me on Twitter as EcoSense Now. EcoSense Now on Twitter. Yep. Fantastic. So we'll include links uh, to those as well in the show notes section of the uh, of this episode. Thanks. So, I just I just made 110,000 followers on Twitter. So awesome! Congratulations. That's yeah. a big that's a big feat. I know yeah. I couldn't get past like 110. <laughs> let alone 110,000. So <laughs> congratulations on that, Patrick. So thank you. And, uh, and we'll see you again soon. Love to have you back. I'll be back anytime you want me, Nick. Thank you very Great. much. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoy talking with Patrick and I hope you enjoyed our interview and, and the information that we brought to you, as I said, at the, at the end there, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because I wanted to be able to share with people information that I found interesting and helpful and useful in, in my decision-making process, because it, that's important. That's an important part of a, a democracy is being informed and, and knowing the subjects for which, uh, you know, you need to discuss and you need to make decisions on. Right. And a lot of times I found that uh, when I'm upset about something or something makes me angry, it means I need more information. And in this case, as I was saying earlier on in the podcast, getting getting information about things like plastics or, or chemicals or, um, you know, pollutants or things in the atmosphere or CO2, right, is supposed to be this big boogeyman, right, that's that's destroying the earth. Uh, having having that information, I found really helped alleviate that anger and that fear. So I hope that it has helped you as well better understand what we're facing and what really what we shouldn't be afraid of. Uh, you know, that's that's the really the big thing here, folks, is that we don't have we, we have nothing to fear. Right. Fear is the thing that we have to fear. And the way to overcome fear is with information. So 
Again, thank you for tuning into the Free America Podcast. And of course, if you want to support the Free America Podcast, check out covidsmostwanted.com. That's where you get the deck of playing cards. Uh, it's got all your favorites, all the villains from, from this story that we're in right now. There's one of them, Dr. Fauci. Um, and you can get them at covidsmostwanted.com. And be sure to use c- promo code podcast when you at checkout that'll give you a 20 percent discount and as always it's free shipping anywhere here in the united states it's a little bit more to ship over to uh, some of you folks that are listening to us over in europe or down in australia i know i just sent out um a deck to someone in australia so thank you for your for your purchase and for supporting the free america podcast but yeah go to uh, covidsmostwanted.com and use promo code podcast for that 20 percent discount and you will be helping the free America podcast stay on the air. Okay, folks, that's all for this week. We will see you next week with another exciting episode. And I want to thank you all for tuning in once again and for keeping free America on the air. Uh, because of course it is you that keeps this show alive and we are getting close to episode 100. So I'm very excited for that. We've been on the air now for well, uh, approaching two years. Uh, we did start in July of 2020, right? As we are, you know, getting into this whole COVID thing. So I can't believe it's been two years already. So thanks for tuning in, folks. And and to all of you, uh, not just here in the United States, but all around the world, keep fighting for freedom. We are winning this, this battle, fo- uh, folks. We're winning this war. Battle by battle, uh, we are chipping away at the power that these people are trying to lord over us. And and believe me, it's not over yet, uh, We but we have gained some ground. So keep up the fight. Stay free. Keep fighting for freedom. It's it's it doesn't come for free. You got to fight for it, folks. So that's all for now. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. Good night.